Hey everyone, this is so creepy. <laughs> Hi kids. Hey, good morning, children. This is Middlebrow. We are a mostly contemporary art podcast hosted by completely average human artists. This is Olive Moya. <laughs> and this is Lindsay Schultz, my bestie. Yeah, we talk about art. We try super hard to be super, super interesting. Uh, it's for artists, for people who want to know about art, but might be intimidated. Is that it? No, I was going to let you say, trust me, we're right there with you, but. Oh, we haven't catch my. <laughs> what is it? Trust me, we're right trust there with you. Trust me, we're right there with you. Yeah. Trust me, we're right there with you. Trust me. Remember from Jungle Book? That's how that song went? Yeah, he like I remember the eyes. And he's like, trust in me, trust in me. I do not remember the song. <laughs> I just remember his glowy orange eyes. Like, yeah. he was hypnotizing him to trust him. And then he was going to eat him. Guys, this is Diego. This episode. Diego Rodriguez Warner. He's from Denver. No, just kidding. Wrong. Right off the bat. <laughs> no, he is. I think he would say he's, he's a Denver artist. But he grew up in Denver. I don't even know how we're going to do this episode. So, guys, this is what happened. I did this research on Diego. We recorded an episode before we had microphones. But it sounded bad. It sounded so bad. And so now we have microphones and we are going to redo it. But before we, we posted the pictures, then Diego was like, "Uh, did I do an interview that I didn't know about? And then <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Uh, well, we were super cocky. We were like, we have so many questions. And he was like, <laughs> you rang? And we're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, shit. No one, I thought no one knew about this. And then when we talked to him, he ended up being like, you guys made me feel famous. And I was like, you made us feel famous <laughs> by even responding to our 12 listener podcast. Yeah. So uh, we never posted that episode because a, yes, we love all 12 of you. You guys are the best. And Nina. Are you listening? Because <laughs> we love that you might followed us. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, Nina is following us, just so you know. So that's how cool we are. So then, yeah, he was like, come over and ask me all the questions you wanted to ask. And then it took us 10,000 years. And then we finally found a schedule that worked and we did it. So here we are. We have answers straight from his mouth. Mm -hmm. We have lots of opinions. We have so much information. So it's going to be kind of, I'll tell you about him and we'll describe his art like normal. But then we also have this whole other discussion. We'll see. See where we get to today. So Diego Rodriguez Warner. I found his work because I live in Denver. So I saw his work at the Denver Museum Contemporary Denver's Museum of Contemporary Art, mm -hmm. and it was Cleon Peterson, whose work was plastered on all the outside walls, and then Diego, who I didn't even know was in the show, and Arthur Jaffa, whose work was in the basement, and I didn't know either of those artists, but I knew of Cleon. Uh, I didn't know much about him, though. Anyway, so uh, Honestly Lying, which was the name of his show, was on the first floor, and I instantly really loved it. It's really beautiful, colorful, so much going on, kind of maximalist. Very layered, colorful, graphic in both the sense of 
visual content, um, but also the lines. And they're a massive scale. Yeah, they're huge. And it's just so much to look at because it's like playing with layering and he, you know, he's carving into the wood in some instances and then painting uh, pretend shadows in others. And then they had a little like where you could view one of his maquettes or mm. kind of his way of sketching, which is just like um, insulation foam with all these little T-pins and the collaged elements that he's found and incorporated in. So that's the way he sketches. And then he, he goes on and makes these paintings. So they're just crazy to look at. So I kind of fell in love with them. But it's overwhelming, and I didn't really look too much at anything. And then we went upstairs and saw Cleon, and again, it was just the whole show was incredibly overwhelming. Cleon's work mm -hmm. is really big, too, at least in that show it was yeah. huge. Every piece, I mean, I've only seen his work in Denver, but every time it was like a huge wall mural or on the outside of a building or the photos I saw from MCA. Massive oh, canvases. to work on a huge scale. It's somehow yeah. like, if I work big, I'm legit. Yeah. <laughs> Which we all fought I worked for. <laughs> super hard. And it's all-encompassing. You cannot look away from this painting physically. Yeah, you, you literally can't get away from it. <laughs> uh, so that's how I found him. And then one day I was just super into it. I'm like, all right, I want to find information. And I looked him up and I couldn't find very much information. And I was super annoyed uh, because I just wanted to know more of what his work was about, especially because he uses all this collage and therefore he's using other images so he's uh it's like collage of identifiable and appropriated imagery yeah and in his case it's art history images so other people's artwork so the fact that i couldn't find much information about what he meant by that was frustrating to me that's how we got started on this thing so, Diego was born in Managua, Nicaragua in 1986, and he, but he grew up in Denver. His parents, I learned this the second time around, his parents were like, he said he came from a long line of feminists, which I think meant his grandma hmm. and his mom, but his mom was a Quaker in Denver, and then his dad was like a Marxist and fought in like a or grew up in like an oppressive regime basically and so politics were really big in nicaragua as well his dad yeah yeah so uh he said that politics were always big in his house like he grew up around revolutionary posters and graphics and stuff like that in 2008 he studied under the cuban minister for fine arts lespia bent dumois in Havana. So he was kind of in school here in the States. And then he decided to go over there for a little bit. And because and he was studying. Didn't he get accepted into a program there, right? So he went to go study. And because he couldn't study politics, he chose to study art. Right? I think that's what happened. Yeah. He, and now I can't remember. And now I'm nervous because Diego, we didn't talk about this. And <laughs> whatever so sorry, what i Diegs. yeah sorry D Diego. did you just abbreviate his name sorry, yeah Diegs. 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 can we call you that Diegs? um <laughs> so <laughs> he was studying coin theory 
And what the fuck is coin theory? Coin theory. Let all tell you. Let me tell you. It's <laughs> counterinsurgency. I really don't know that much. I'm just reading what I found on Wikipedia. Uh, but it's about, <laughs> defines it as comprehensive civilian military efforts taken to simultaneously defeat and contain insurgency and address its root causes. <laughs> what does that mean? So it's basically about politics and war and rebellion and shit like that. And studying to be a defense analyst was basically what he was doing. Uh, according to scholars, it's crucial to know what this strategy was designed for and to understand it comprehensively. Coin strategy aims to achieve the support of local population for the government created by a host nation. So this happened in Nicaragua. This happened basically everywhere in the whole world. Mm-hmm. White people <laughs> come in and do what the hell they want. Not just white people. Probably not people. Switzerland. They are perfect. Can we go yeah. there? Let's and look there. Eat. Did you see the video I sent you of the chocolate train? What? Where was that? I send it to you. You hop on a train and you just get to eat chocolate from place to place to place. It's like a <gasps> oh, tour yes, train you with did. chocolate. Yes. Yeah. I can't wait. Is there a cheese We're, train? Yeah. We'll do Find a chocolate one. train and on the way back, we'll do a cheese train. No, no, no. There is. There is because there's one with a huge cheese wheel. You get to stop at this place with huge cheese wheels. Oh, my God. I love cheese wheels. Uh, so he's really interested, obviously, in revolutions and oppressive regimes and politics, etc., etc. So he does that. Then he goes to Cuba, right? And then in Cuba, you can't really study that kind of shit. So he was like, "I'm just gonna study art." And then he, and then because he said they didn't have access to uh materials to actually paint that they started doing printmaking. So that's where he learned printmaking and he started really liking it. And that's kind of part of his graphic, like formally graphic. Yeah, and very labor-intensive process. Everything's very planned out and it's layered and there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of room for improvising on, not canvas, but on his... Panels. It's not even a panel. What is it? Becomes a panel. It's just like a plywood sheet. Yeah, a big piece of plywood. So then he comes back, he finishes his his degree, his coin theory degree at the fine at fine arts from Hampshire College. Oh, so he must have gotten like a minor in fine arts. But he told me that he told us that he only took like one drawing class. So Yeah. So then he decides that he's super interested in art and he he got his masters from the printmaking department at RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. And so that's kind of where everything started. And I have more to say about that, but I think we'll get to it. About RISD? Yeah. I mean, that kind of links into he was saying a little bit that he never really had to think about what he was making. And then he was kind of thrust into this very, this program that was like super about being thoughtful about what you're making. Kind of. I mean, when, when we had that conversation, he was saying, he talked about the difference between uh, our program, my program and his, where, uh, RISD, he described it much more of a, like a maker's program where it was, mu- it was all about producing work where at CalArts, the emphasis was on talking about work and thinking about work. And you obviously had to make work, but a lot of the emphasis was on the concept and discussions around it. Right. But he did say that he didn't really have, when he was talking about his source material, he didn't really have any art history education. Uh, yeah. So I guess that makes your point also. 
Um, I can feel this canned wine in my legs already. Ooh, I love that feeling. It's called being buzzed. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a place where you feel wine first? I feel wine first in my knees. I feel like I feel it here first, like tingly here and then in my extremities. Yeah. But I get it in the back of my head first. Weird. First time I ever had it, I just kept saying it felt weird. And that was the feeling I was <laughs> describing. And everyone was like, yes, that's that's what it's supposed to do. And I was like, no, but it feels weird. Really weird. And like, they were like, don't ever do any other drugs besides <laughs> this. You fucking crazy person. When I was on the walk with Rachel and Elisa, they were talking about doing ayahuasca ceremonies. Uh-huh. Yeah. That and, scares me. Yep. They were talking about like, oh, yeah, we took... LSD and mushrooms and sassafras and all this stuff. Sassafras. And, I think um, I thought you could eat. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, that's a know. restaurant here. <laughs> yeah, that's why I thought you could eat sassafras. it. <laughs> but I was talking to them because they were talking about this amazing experience. I'm like, I'm someone who doesn't really do drugs. Yeah, and I <laughs> don't really do. <laughs> and I don't really do out of control feelings very well. Yeah. So I'm like, how how would you guys say? Just when is it over? When yeah. is it over? If you just let it, if you can be that person that just lets it. Who Maybe are we to like, say? We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> nope. I feel like if I was around a really good group of people where I felt safe and we could go through it together and it was like a warm, cozy hug and I'd basically my two partners, George on one side and George on the other. Yeah, and then Danny can be over there too. Yeah, so just no, but he can't it do it because it would be bad. <laughs> no, it would be like that time we went to linger and he was talking about <laughs> aliens. <laughs> One time we were watching a movie and they said something about like drink lots of water or something, and he's like, "I wonder what drug they're doing," and I'm like, "Ecstasy," and he's like, "How do you know that?" And I'm like, "All my friends are drug addicts." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you have to drink water when you're doing X. Like, that's just one of the things they say. And he was like, okay. like in my Birbiglia, she loved E and she hated water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's so funny. I forgot about that. Uh, so, <clears throat> okay, so mm-hmm. here are some of his early prints. He also showed me, I wondered about his, like, what his natural drawings look like. So, when after we got off the phone, uh he showed me a bunch of his like pen and ink drawings from before he started this collage style thing Mm -hmm. uh they still look Did you like them uh yeah they were they were just really different it was kind of like these things that you see these prints Mm -hmm. very similar stills early work no (laughs) thank god no because then i would have had to be like "Uh uh-huh yeah it's really it's really cool. I love those Sagnatchies. Sagnatchies. I love them. No, um, it was just very like German expressionist. After some time making prints, he basically decides that printmaking wasn't for him. He loved the carving, but not so much the printing itself. I feel so weird talking about him now that we've talked to him. These are things that I found <laughs> out before I talked to him. He loved the carving, but not so much the printing itself. He said that keeping your hands and the paper clean, etc., is not his favorite, which I totally relate to. Um, his work is also highly informed by printmaking, like what we talked about, the carving aspect, the graphic shapes, etc., high contrast. So he works on plywood, birch plywood sheets, mm-hmm. and then he uh, like mounts them so, onto wood. Okay, his whole process. First, he uses the little collage pieces and sort of puts it in a basic composition right yeah 
And then. Oh, he has. Can I just say this real quick? He has a big wall of like foam core in his studio. And it's just filled with things that he's cut out and and like pinned on there. And so he just kind of pulls from those. So it's, but it's like a whole wall, just like body parts and random stuff. Anyway. Okay. So then he has that. Then, like in that video, he has like a finalized piece Mm -hmm. that he prints out and then creates the painting based off of that printed piece of paper next, right? Yeah. He kind of like takes a picture of his maquette or something to flatten it and like see where all the shadows are and stuff from a certain angle. He goes from the cutout collage maquette to a printed piece of paper and then he has everything mapped out and he masks it out and layers it up. He carves into it. He also uses stains and he paints and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, he'll, like, mask a bunch of stuff and spray paint outside, then pull Mm -hmm. all of that off. It's, like, a lot of, I think, of exacto work where he's got, like, these big sheets of whatever, and then he, like, cuts out shapes and then spray paints and then pulls that all off. And then he – I think the carving is last. and But, yeah, he uses all sorts of things. Wood stains for, like, uh, yeah, shadows and whatnot. So that's his process. And it takes months to get through a piece, right? Yeah, like he was a saying, large piece. Yeah, he was saying a large piece that he was commissioned to do. So I'm guessing it was like from start to finish, he just worked on that and nothing else. He said it took 90 days, so like three months of work, straight work. And he said he just worked on only that. And then they didn't Man. want it. <laughs> Stupid. Never um, do commissions. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> Seriously. Well, and maybe don't put buttholes in your commissions, D-Eggs. <laughs> That's a- <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned. Starfisher for the sea. Well, they asked for his work, though. I don't know what they were asking. What did they think that they were asking for? They saw what he made. They thought there was yeah, going to be know. no naked people. It, so even though he describes his work as graphic, he specifies it's less graphic in the sense of violent imagery. I don't think that's true. Which though. I don't think is true. I don't even think he would say that's true. Where did I find <laughs> that quote? <laughs> he said it. He said it in the video. Oh, you're right. It was in the video. Diggs, yeah. why did you say that? Because you said it, it was pretty much all about violence. He was like, it's about war and violence across history. <laughs> <laughs> you can see I'm planting the seed for a little bit of my tension with his work. <laughs> yeah, Lindsay's going to chew him out. Sorry, Diggs. <laughs> I tried to tell her to be nice. Um, <laughs> Get ready. So, <laughs> what was your spicy alert? What's it called? Hot tamale alert or something? What? Hot damn? What does your uncle say? Oh, my, my grandpa. Hot damn, I got me something spicy. Yep. Hot damn <laughs> alert, right? Hot <laughs> damn alert. <laughs> when you put pepper in things. Uh, so yeah, his work is violent. I'm sorry. He gets no choice in this matter. It just is. There's like cut up body parts everywhere. A lot of times it's women. Sometimes it's men. Um, sort of like blood spurting. Mm-hmm, blood spurting. But then there's like flower patterns and pretty things. And it's super bright and colorful. And he kind of talks about this being um, a way to draw people in and distract them from maybe what it is. And then he wants to like Nina, Chanel, Abney, confront them with what it is then. But I think that's where we get lost. Or he gets lost. Yeah, we'll talk about that kind of towards the end. Yeah. So he appropriates from, he said, before I talked to him, and still kind of said, he appropriates things for really no other reason besides that he likes it. Among his favorite artists to copy are, how do I say that word? Tsukioka. 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 Mm Mm-hmm. Yoshitoshi. Mm-hmm. 
Egon Schiel, which is the protege of Gustav Klimt, Henry Matisse. Interestingly, many of the works he appropriates were made during violent periods in history, such as the Meiji, Meiji. Restoration in Japan. Oh, Meiji. Is restoration the right, right word? I'm not looking it up. <laughs> uh, in Japan, so like... Mm, <laughs> I don't think now I can't I can't not it's not where did I get that and no I pulled it straight from the MCA maybe they had it wrong oh yeah restoration another thing that many of his works have in common is a style that combine combines expressionistic figures and strong lines so he did say about just his materials he says I don't come from a traditional arts background and so I don't have the same sort of romanticism with oil paints. I generally just don't use them. But I do like making art out of quote-unquote lesser materials. I make paintings on birch plywood. I carve into it. I do spray paint stencils, wood stains, varnish, acrylic, watercolor, kind of everything in the kitchen sink. So this first one we talk about, Untitled, which is 8 feet by 16 feet long. It's like a loud, crowded explosion, organized mm -hmm. mess of body parts, patterns, foliage, florals, animals, faces, blood spurts or drips, waves. Uh, it's red. It's red blood. It looks like blood spatter. Spatter. There's a word. Can we all agree on spatter, guys? <laughs> uh, layers upon layers. One woman's naked torso is meshed with another's and they share boobs while one splays their vagina random horse legs are coming out of nowhere and look literally cut Mickey mouse hands in the center Mickey mouse hands on the fingertips <laughs> oh Mickey mouse killed her I get it I get it stop the podcast I figured it out <laughs> it all makes sense now <laughs> uh it's extremely colorful like we talked about red yellow and blue oh I thought I was gonna <laughs> name all the colors again while some of the images are stripped of color and exist as an outline on the wood texture of the plywood mm-hmm so then here is Western painting, which is a square. So it's eight by eight. Uh, this is horse heads and body parts, skulls, scary smiles with sharp teeth, human legs with bloody feet and bloody handprints on the calf, etc. It's all sort of coming out of the center like a tangled fit, like the tangled fit in cartoons where there's like a moving cloud of dust. And it's like, uh, uh, poop, you know. Uh, body parts appear now and then to depict a fight. That's kind of what I described it as. He says it's inspired by Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. He says, hmm. I, I want to make a I'm painting. Just looking that up. Uh, I, I had it all, but I didn't put the whole thing in because it's long. He said, I wanted to make a painting that was analogous to a run-on sentence. That was a pistat, pistat, pastiche? Pastiche. That was a pastiche of a continent's violent history that was relentlessly aggressive, that refused to coalesce. That similarly drooped under its own descriptive weight. So the composition really reminds me of the Napoleon painting, you know, where the horse is rearing and there's like the cavalry cavalry in the background. It's not as clear as that. There's sort of a horse figure in front and then a lot of chaos and layering through it that it kind of has the similar composition as that. Yeah, I, c I can see that too. Yeah. It's obviously just like more tangled and messy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I see that for sure. It's like the Napoleon painting went through a blender and you mix had like, a lot of color. Yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna say something <laughs> like that to that. I mean, this one is interesting because it goes away from the Japanese art as much 
and shows more of like an American take on violence with the horses. It has like Native American colors. I would kind of or like early American art where we like paint other Native Americans as being super mm-hmm. violent and whatever. It kind of reminds me of that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's weird sort of like a skull head and these like monster heads too. But yeah, so that one's interesting. That was the one where I feel like I saw at least more of a descriptive idea of what it was supposed to be. Yeah, I feel like his work is split between having the heavily Asian influence and then really into this idea too with his cowboy paintings and but it seems to sit in those two places mostly and i don't i don't know why he chooses to move so far away from other forms of representation of violence but yeah i think like he said yeah like i think he said exactly what it is he just is interested in certain ones more than others and that's really all that he has to say about it you know like that's why I'm not saying it's a good reason. I'm just saying if you ask him, that's what he said. He's I know like he did ask him. Interested in <laughs> certain things are just more interesting looking to him. So moving on, then he has a geisha. Well, I think it's bathing gypsy. Um, so he has like a series of these where it's. I think it's just the same painting over and over again, mm-hmm. but like with different things. Then he has this one called Sirens, which is eight by eight feet. And that is, yeah, eight feet by eight feet. They're all huge. I guess not all the the geishas aren't. This one looks very much Matisse inspired. Yeah, a lot of Matisse in this one. Uh, Even with the like painting aspect, he does this sometimes with the super Mm -hmm. painterly looking background elements and even the figures look very much like matisse's dancing figures in a circle Mm -hmm. but like a nightmare version (laughs) yeah like a scary one where there's blood spurts coming out of a vagina and teeth face masks yeah which by the way those are his i was curious because he had like a carving of it on his wall like a sculpture and Mm -hmm. i was like where'd you get this because i just assumed that it was some from somewhere else and he's like oh that's mm-hmm. just mine so like in a lot of his he has these these specific teeth things that are everywhere hmm. he had a comment on the geish or the nude the geisha paintings the bathing gypsy paintings mm-hmm. he said and i thought we were getting i want to be careful saying this but i thought we were getting somewhere with him and he was like i wasn't sure of these i didn't feel like i was making them for the right reasons mm-hmm. but then he said that nudes that the reason he felt like he wasn't making them for the right reasons was because nudes sell and he was really bored with them um right. so he kind of felt like he was just making them so that he could you know keep making art everyone has to make money but he also felt like he was repeating the male gaze thing and he said he wondered and ho- he said hoped. I was hoping I would get a feminist response. But then he had such a positive one from people and even women is what he said. And then he started thinking, well, am I just overthinking all of this? Which I don't. I think it's really strange that he got such a positive glowing review on everything. And like very few people called him out on all his heavily appropriated images and how he treats women and stuff in his paintings or how he teach the f- treats the female figure or nude mm-hmm. in his in his work. I also think these sell more cuz they're a smaller size too. Like not many people are going to yeah. have room for an 8 foot by 8 foot piece or 8 foot by 12 feet whatever that long one is, but 
16. Yeah, these... Yeah, and he said that too. He was like, "What am I supposed to yeah, do?" Yeah, he's with like all a these separate <laughs> studio, right? For all the storage of big pieces, these ones are more. They're like purchase ready, you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. So moving on to the probably the most upsetting one, <laughs> the most what is the word? Controversial. There we go. Problematic. Yeah, controversial. This most controversial piece that he has is called Rafts. It's also eight by sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so it's basically tell him about it. <laughs> um Rafts, eight by sixteen. So basically Rafts is an almost identical recreation of another piece by Utagawa yeah. Hiroshige. Um, which was depicting people traveling to Edo, which is present day Tokyo. And in this, during the Edo regime, travel for the sake of travel was banned. And because not everyone could travel, literary figures and artists were hired to write about or picture travel. And then soon travel literature was popular while Hiroshige and other famous woodblock print artists were commissioned to document their own travels in print. So this is one of them where um, these are wealthy or influential people being brought into Edo, right? Um, And they're being like on these wood plank rafts and these people are carrying them through the water because highway systems were sort of blocked off and you couldn't travel around Tokyo in the same way that you can today. So it was very segmented for political control. And um, anyway, so it depicts, you can see Mount Fuji in the background and all of these people traveling in the water on these wood rafts to get to modern day Tokyo. And his painting is literally like 50% the same. And then instead of the respectable figures on the platforms, it's these sort of abstracted, colorful shapes, but are not recognizable as a human figure. Yeah, these are hard for me to even make sense of. They're just like, it literally just looks like collage. Mm-hmm. Like you just like cut and pasted a bunch of different papers, colorful papers together. And then it's just sitting on there as like a, by the way, what are these people? So it says that they're, I, hmm. I don't know if you know the answer to this question. But it said the military leaders would refuse to build a bridge, right? And then, but then they forced their subordinate leaders. So these are the people on Mm -hmm. the rafts to cross the river. So these are still leaders, right? Yeah, so Tokyo was very. And then the people who are in the water are. Yeah, so Tokyo was very separate. And when they, it was something about opening up a travel from modern day Tokyo through I think a higher place maybe in like Kyoto where like the original leadership regime location was was more north I believe and then they started moving down into Tokyo okay it's fine but I there just was don't have no idea things were transitioning and coming in so instead like people were Tokyo was very separate there was all these little hubs mm. of places but it wasn't easily accessible to go from place to place to place right but they made all the like leaders of each little place yeah, so when they had to come to see like the right. main so leader. i think when they had to come together because travel wasn't really a thing um they didn't have these highways to connect places they had to cross this river to even access 
could they touch the bottom? Like, I don't understand. It looks like, <laughs> it's ocean like an to ocean. Me. <laughs> not that this doesn't, not that yeah. this matters to the whole thing, but it's just like, how are they I walking in there? Okay. I'm not a Japanese historian. I just started thinking about it just now. Um. Anyway, so yes. So problematic aspects, but also the like the lack of knowledge makes it so that it's you could easily be offending yeah. people. It's, I mean, it's very much cultural appropriation for no other reason, supposedly, than he liked it. And that he's trying to talk about like war. And so he did say, I should have a good answer for why I use Japanese stuff. It's the same answer as for why I use European. It's the art that I like. But he's also saying that, like, the general things he's trying to talk about are he wants to use historical touchstones because it's to him it's much more about speaking about a timelessness. This is a quote. That our moment is not quite so unique in history that we are just living history in a constant thing. So he's basically doesn't think that our moment is so unique. And so he, because Lindsay was asking him, why don't you use contemporary examples of violence in your work if you're trying to talk about violence? But his whole idea in his mind is that while I'm trying to talk about violence, how violence is just a human thing and that we we do the same things over and over. Oh, here we go. Uh, I think the thing that was hardest for me to hear listening back on it is when we would bring up, I think it's funny. In the end, he sort of was like, I should think more about it and I should have, and I do want to learn from it. He definitely said that in the end, but there were many more times when we would confront him with this information. And like you said, you talked about how George Lindsay's boyfriend, who is half Japanese, was pretty offended by these. And he, he had said, said first, like, if someone who is Japanese would tell me that they were offended by them, then I would have to stop and rethink what I'm doing. And I said, well, to be mm -hmm. transparent, my partner is half Japanese and he did find these problematic. And then I explained why and why George was found these really upsetting. Um, but then <laughs> but then he still said, "I." <laughs> this is a quote. He said, yeah, I don't feel that same sort of deference. I think for me, the construction of my images is way more about the indexical touchstones. Like I feel comfortable combining all of these different styles because they have the same motifs that continue to resurface. In exploring that language, oh, I didn't finish that quote. So he must have trailed <laughs> off. I feel like that's just as much German expressionist in that show as Japanese. But to me, they're speaking that old song. And he's talking about Duende, which is he was saying is like mm -hmm. a folklore thing, which, by the way, I looked that up and it's more he talked about Duende being like like a myth or like a story mm -hmm. we tell ourselves over and over, which it which it is a folklore, like a Latin folklore. But it was more of a feeling is what they said. It was like a physical, emotional response to art. Art that gives you chills, art or performance or music or something like that, that gives you chills or makes you smile or cry. Bodily reactions <laughs> to art, basically. Yeah, I think that was when I got the most uncomfortable was when he would just, you would tell him something and then he would just be like, I don't feel that same sort of deference. He said that multiple times. And I just felt like, I just felt uncomfortable <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know how you wouldn't feel. I, I understand what he's trying to portray, but if someone's telling you you're not portraying it well. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, that's really in the end what we were saying, right? Your, your idea that you're trying to 
put across isn't coming across. What's coming across is all these mm-hmm. other things. And that's where I think, I mean, we can just start going into this now since we are. Um, yeah, yeah. The first thing that I brought up to him was that, you know, you want to talk about information and social media and all of these conversations and violence and being bombarded with information. But right now we're having this conversation about cultural appropriation and about fetishizing Asian bodies and all of this stuff. So if that's not the conversation you want to have. It's the one we're having. So you need to kind of take a step back and look at what you're putting out there with your paintings in order to not have that conversation if that's not the conversation you want to have. Yeah, I think the thing that I don't think we really got across totally, I think he felt defensive of what he was making. But I think the real issue as an artist is that we're trying to communicate something And whatever he's trying to communicate isn't coming across in the way that he Mm -hmm. wanted it to. And I think that's a fundamental problem for him. Like, right? I I would think that if you're trying to tell someone something, you want to communicate it Mm -hmm. well. And if someone is literally not even getting that and they're focused on all these other things, then you're not using the right tools or the right words. And in this case, the right images. His work's gorgeous, but like not only could many people be offended, but you're just getting the wrong idea is really what it is. And we talked about people who appropriate successfully, like um, easy example is Barbara Kruger versus appropriating an image and having that image and the power that that original image holds be the weight of your piece, which I think is the problem. You know, we're still talking about what the appropriated images talk about and mean, not so much in like a a piece of how he uses it for his new work. Um, and I think that's something that you said that I'm not sure he uh, like understood what you were trying to say, but you were saying if this person, if Matisse or mm-hmm. whoever it is made this thing and it was revolutionary mm-hmm. – How are you using it to make it even more impactful? And I think that that didn't really like go through somehow, but I think that's the idea you're saying Mm -hmm. now is that if this person made something that was revolutionary, you using it is only going to refer back to what they did. It's never going to make a new statement unless you use it in an impactful way, unless you you change it enough or refer to something. Yeah. And be strategic and, um, yeah, I just don't know that it come comes yeah. across. I mean, that's what you makes what I mean? appropriation so powerful is that it's a nod to something that already exists and you need to know that history and that weight and then use it in a way where it's about combining imagery or imagery and text or something to create this moment where it's like that creates something new, but based on the the weight that it already holds you know if it's if it's something that's not recognizable and it's just whatever a pretty girl like she still represents something but especially if you're using well-known painting a specific pretty girl yeah (laughs) and then (laughs) it's like i said every image that he uses has has its own books worth Mm -hmm. of knowledge attached to it and you can't just cut that part out it's 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 embedded in that image and then he's using tons of those images so there's like all this and like especially and it's hard there's he's pulling from a lot but especially pulling from 
Asian culture, I feel like it can be so tricky because it's very much grounded in tradition and respect and a hierarchy, politics. We need to understand and just like craft on how these paintings are made and these woodblock prints are made and distributed. Everything is so important in going into these pieces that to use it very nonchalantly is very disrespectful. All of these things mean something so important. And he's just like pushing that information to the side. I mean, like, that doesn't apply to me, though. I'm just going to use what I like. Right. Yeah. He feels like he's allowed to just use and technically you're allowed to do whatever you want. But feeling like you could just use those because so he kind of talked about he said, so I said, <laughs> I said, do you why don't you use your own? culture mm -hmm. if you want to use appropriated images or whatever something that more connects to you and then he was very like well what is that and i'm like i don't know mm -hmm. what is it who are you and he was like well i don't know because i think that? he was like, implying I, I like, that you're trying to call him a nicaraguan yeah yeah but even if you want to include a nicaraguan past and an american past or what like he's i feel like the problem is he's being selective in a way where he wants to talk about a universality in violence but he's still being hyper selective about like i don't want to do that because i don't want to talk about that like his past and he's i feel like he's getting tripped up with trying to avoid certain conversations that he's sitting in these other worlds you know like in japanese art and in german art rather than making it universal if you're talking about a universal idea of violence talk about it in a universal way and pull from, whoops <laughs> and pull from everything but he's not and i think that's where the problem is yeah i would much like i get if he wants doesn't want to do contemporary i completely get that i find it hard to think about too like just because we are so inundated with it he talked about mm -hmm. that like i don't want to paint police brutality or trump really or whatever it's just it's too like we see all of that right but i think if he does want to talk about universality and like the fact that we're repeating history over and over you're right like i think he's not addressing a lot of cultures i mean if he wants mm -hmm. to include every culture and violence in every culture then we're missing out on quite a few yeah. there and um, I think that also, you're you're right. He's getting tripped up on, and, and in some ways, I really understand that. It's it's especially in well, I was gonna say in America, but I'm sure everywhere. If you look one way, people automatically are like, like if you look any bit of Latino, pretty much everyone's gonna be like, are you Mexican? Mm -hmm. What did he say? He went somewhere and someone thought he was Persian. Oh, he went to Spain or he was in Berlin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they kept thinking that he was like Middle Eastern yeah. or something. And that's real. And I, I get why he would want to get away from that. And he talked about the whole like people still, even though he he goes so far away from his own culture, quote unquote, people will still be like, it's very Latino with all the bright colors. And he's like, Latino art isn't colorful like that. And he was like very offended mm -hmm. by that. But it's so ironic that then he then goes and, like you said, sits in other people's cultures and decides what he can and can't have and what they are and aren't in his mind. And um, that's kind of what other people are doing to him. So it's a little weird in that sense. I just want to know that he's thinking about it and that he cares and that he is looking into the past. I think he isn't. And that's where it got upsetting. And but I think and this is where I think we end up differing is like our end feeling. And correct me if I'm wrong. 
in my mind, I'm like a perpetual idealist and really not saying that you aren't me saying that I am something is not saying that you aren't something, but like, I'm really empathetic to everybody. And I'm not saying that that makes what he's doing right, but I am empathetic to just be naive. And I kind of think, even though I'm sure, sorry, Diggs, I know you're probably going to hate me, but like, I, I think in a way he went about this process with a little bit as much other knowledge as he seems to have about stuff. He went into this kind of naive, not thinking about, all the implications. And because he's using so many things that have their own meaning, there's so many implications. And, but I feel- George made that perfect example is if you don't do your research, it's like he could pull the swastika and put it in his painting and be like, it looks cool. Yeah, for sure. Because it does. It's a great design. Yeah. (laughs) But it has a loaded, heavy, horrible history behind what that image represents. And if he's pulling from all these cultures that have these signifiers that could represent something to their culture that represents something that he's not aware of just because it's not as famous as the swastika. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't do his research, he could be creating inappropriate and offensive work and not knowing it and just being like, yeah, it looks cool. And that's... No, I agree. I guess my argument, and I'm not arguing with you, I completely agree with you. I guess my point of view is that he... I think about people who listen to this podcast, and I'm not trying to say he doesn't know anything, but like, I think about people who don't understand how to look at art sometimes. And I don't think he started from that point. I don't. I think he started Mm -hmm. from a defense analyst point, started making drawings because it was something that he liked to do, got in his this MFA program that really wasn't concept driven and was doing printmaking, first of all, then got bored of printmaking. And then started making this art. And I just think no one said you need to think about this. Mm -hmm. And then he had this opportunity to have this show, which anyone would take. I I can't, I don't know a person that wouldn't take it that wants to be an artist Mm -hmm. and then got a ton of positive reviews and no one called him out. And then what do you, I mean, I just, my empathy comes from there. Like, what if you just don't know that you're supposed to think about those things? And I really think that that's what happened. I mean, like he said that he didn't even know about the Edo thing and the whole like past about the rafts until the curator Mm -hmm. told him. And he's like, she put that up on the wall about that. But that's what a curator is supposed to do. And that's what artists are supposed to think about when they make pieces like that. And I just don't think he did. I think where I want to see... Diego is for you to move forward differently. So uh, anyway, yeah. moving forward, I really, I really, really feel that he didn't think about it enough. I hope now. Another huge part of our conversation was also the representation of women in his paintings mm-hmm. and women's bodies being literally cut into pieces and put back together in this mutilation. And I brought up, I wanted to know how he felt about that. And within history and politics and art history, I brought up past paintings like Titian's Rape of Lucretia and Roman imagery like the Rape of Persephone and more contemporary artists like Kiki Smith and Nan Golden who talk about domestic abuse and violence and also on a political level with FGM, female genital mutilation in like Africa and Asia and the Middle East. Also, I guess in yokai too in Japanese folklore, there's some pretty violent imagery. So there's a history of how women are portrayed in paintings and photographs and he's 
perpetuating this depiction and I wanted to know, is he doing it consciously or is it just something that's happening? You can take it from here with his sort of Yeah, response. he said that, well, he literally said, I hope I'm not perpetuating it. I don't think I make sexualized images. I think I include nude bodies, but I don't think they're unduly sexualized. And then he said, women's bodies are manipulated and are twisted into these unnatural positions all the time. Um, photographs are manipulated instead of women. So instead of women in repose, I make them jumping up and I'm pointing at, he basically is saying, I'm pointing at the fact that this is happening. So he's saying, I'm pointing at the fact that the way that women's bodies are treated in images is violent. I hope that isn't accentuating it in a way that the paintings are sacrament, flowers, pretty patterns, and stuffs, stuff that we're supposed to, to like. I'm painting the fact that it's fucked or that it's not real. So he feels like by accentuating these things and then putting them in the context of these other flowery, nice things that he's accentuating that, hey, that's not real and it's fucked up that we portray women this way and that they shouldn't be that. But, and then we brought up like, well, as a woman walking into those paintings, it is harder to see your own body mm -hmm. cut up just like, um, what was her name who did that hyperallergic article? She said that mm -hmm. she had two young girls that went in there and they were giggling and looking at his paintings. And was it Sarah or Julie? Or like <laughs> Probably neither because you got it wrong like millions of times. I know. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. Julie, you're right. Did you say Julie? <gasps> yeah, I said Sarah nice. or Julie because I kept yeah. calling Sarah before. Julie Carr. Tone deaf in a period defined by police brutality, brutality and racial discrimination, the MCA Endeavor Spring Exhibitions meditate on violence through a lens hearkening back to Jim Crow. Eee, scary words. Yeah, uh, yeah she's got a, <laughs> She has a great article. Go read that article. It's called Who Decides What is Violent in the Museum? I know we didn't get to Cleon. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. Okay, so uh, let me finish this up. So I did say to him, okay. have you ever felt unsafe walking down the street? And he said, nope, I've never felt unsafe in this country walking down the street. And he recognizes that. Um, okay, so this was Julie Carr's quote. She said, back on the first floor, because she was talking about Jaffa's amazing video installation in the basement. This is back at the, the MCA. MCA yeah, everyone. Um, he had a video installation and he was the only African-American male artist and his work was in the basement and it had a warning that said adults accompanying young viewers may wish to review love is the message. What was the, that was the name of the video. Oh, wait, no, the name of the video was love is the message. The message is death in advance due to its inclusion of violent content. So there was a warning on this African-American's video installation in the basement about violent content but up on the first and second floor violent content was existing without any and cleon's is cleon's super, is super violent. violent it's just like i feel like the cartoon and racist and, and racist and misogynist, and, misogynist. <laughs> and i'm not sorry about that cleon so um but like he <laughs> there was no 
there was no message about any of that. And I, oh, I think Cleon's work, I think people don't, it's kind of like Diego's, but in a different way where I think people don't see it because it's like cartoony almost. So they're kind of just like, it looks like really pretty design and it's really pretty shaped, but like it's brutal. And I think people walking into it read his thing about like, oh, I had a terrible past and I got like abused and stuff. Um, But that's, I feel like there is another way to talk about good and evil than like making one, the evil person black and the (laughs) good person white and having all the violence happening from the black person to the white person and the women. And yeah, I just don't know that that was, again, I don't think you're making the right conversation. (laughs) Um, Mm -mm. So here is what, oh, okay. So um, Julie Carr was saying in her article, she says, uh, thus armed, she saw that, (laughs) she saw that warning, right? And she said, thus armed with maternal Mm -hmm. caution, I entered the installation in, around, and through the aspirational and eschatological rap gospel masterpiece of Kanye West's ultralight beam runs Jaffa's lovingly edited montage of black sociality, virtuosity, vulnerability, sadness, and beauty. It's hard to capture in a list how extensive Jaffa's range is. There's pregnancy, baptism, motherhood. I'm getting chills just reading these words together. Motherhood, fatherhood, marriage, child play, friendship, protest, and dance. I'm not joking. I'm about to cry. <laughs> and that may, that will make Lindsay cry. <sighs> There's no sex, but there is precisely five total seconds of some amazing twerking, which another white mother must have found inappropriate for every time it came up, she belatedly cover up her young son's eyes. The violence, all of it found footage from real life and easily searchable on YouTube, all of it already viewed by millions, occupies precisely 48 seconds of the film's eight minutes. Mm -hmm. And she's basically saying all of it was white people on black people. So it's too violent for children to see white people (laughs) beating up black people, but it's fine for black people to be basically killing and maiming and like impaling white women and or. Yeah, white women and black or and white men upstairs. So back on the first floor, I found the girls giggling a little uncomfortable. The first floor is dedicated to an exhibit of collage paintings from Denver artist Diego Rodriguez Warner titled Honestly Lying. The work is colorful, playful and citational, quoting works, works by Matisse, Yoshitoshi and others. The paintings chosen for this exhibit also happen to be pretty packed with images of women's bodies, or rather body parts. Legs, breasts, vaginas, generally presented as if cut or carved up and partially pieced back together. While these bits and pieces of the female form are appropriated from other periods and genres, might ironize their impact, as curator Zoe Larkin puts it on her blog essay about the show, Why Try to Paint Another Nude Women When Several Really Nice Ones Already Exist? Uh, I don't know about that. While text offers an art historical context for the use and misuse of female nude. However, perusing Rodriguez Warner's own website reveals an impressive range of works in a variety of styles which don't traffic in carved up breasts and vaginas or legs. It appears that the works were chosen for the show specifically for their interest in violence, one of the museum's overall themes, but no trigger warnings accompany the, this version of violence. Like Diego said when we were talking, he said, I felt like her article was a critique of the 
museum and the curation yeah. of everything, which it's I, a good I article. It is. I think that that yeah, how things are curated is a huge part of how people see the work, and I think that needs to be taken into consideration as much as all the stuff that the artists are taking into consideration. Completely, they're the one creating context for the work. So yeah, exactly. So my big issue is I still never got to hear like his stance on something. He was like, it's about violence. But like, what do you want to say about violence? Like, what what is your statement? Like, that's where I felt like something was really missing. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, it just seemed like he was making more that he was just interested in violence and how we just keep repeating ourselves over history over and over and over again. And how like. mm, So is he trying to propose a change like i i feel like that's such a passive statement like yeah it's clear we're super violent that's been documented since the beginning you know humans are violent creatures that is nothing new so now what what are you trying to say now that i feel like you're personally attacking me because i don't have anything to say either (laughs) (laughs) no i honestly feel like in a way like we're such different artists and like I, I genuinely feel that way. Like, what the fuck am I making anything for? I'm just making colorful blobs. Like, it doesn't mean anything. What's the purpose? And you're over there like, the fucking Salton Sea and shit. And I'm like, damn, bitch, I don't have any of that to say. Like, why can't I just make something that makes me feel good? You know what I mean? You can. And that's the same with him. Like, why can't he just... It's about this. But he should be able to make he something was- he's interested in without saying like, and then I'm going to propose change about it. You know, like he can make something he's interested in, right? I'm not but defending it's, it's him necessarily. Sh- I'm just asking the question. So this is the difference. Diving in, being like, okay, so what more? You know, where do I fit in with violence? What's my relationship to violence? What do I see? What do I hope to see? All of this stuff that, you know, just like peel back back those layers there's more to it than just like i'm interested in violence why you know you kind of need to have a therapy session with yourself to be like why are you interested in this it's not just that you're interested in it because there's a reason for it there's a reason i'm interested in what i make there's a reason you're interested in what you make and it's not just like it is what it is because that's it's so surface there's so much meat underneath that that you can work with and make a statement from there if he wants to. There's more to it, not just like, I like violence. Let's put a bunch of violent images together and see more violence. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not, what's at stake then? Yeah. You know? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Diego, you're awesome. We loved that you reached out to us. That was crazy and we didn't expect it. If you liked hearing us be awkward in our friendship together and disagreeing on things, rate, review, and subscribe us to us, fuck. Then rate, (laughs) review, hopefully five stars, and subscribe to us. That's the most important part. Do it. Do it. it. Eva Hess is coming next, guys. And then after that, it's a surprise. (laughs) It's a surprise for us both. Surprise for everyone, including (laughs) me. Whose job it is to know. Okay. I love- Y'all have a lovely <laughs> time. <laughs> love you. Bye. Bye.